Well, I want to thank the Frozen Chosen for coming out tonight. God loves you more than he does all those folk that didn't come tonight. Just, just want to break it down just what it is. So um, I, I, have to, I have to point this out. I've never in my life, my wife actually pointed this one out. This is, this is how I know that we've become one. That your shoes match your keyboard. Oh God! <laughs> do they? I mean, is that like a, guitar center or musician's friend? Where do you? Where, where are you able to do that? That's just very impressive. Is everybody impressed with Pastor Robert that his shoes and his keyboard? <laughs> powerful, powerful. <laughs> How many of you have been here the past two weeks and heard Dr. Mansfield speak on prayer? All right. Do you realize the smorgasbord that you have up here? Pastor Brett, men like Dr. Mansfield, Jim LaFoon and others. I mean, let me just tell you, we eat eat pretty good in this church, don't we? But he did a tremendous two-week kickoff to what is going to be a multi-week series. And I trust that you are going to lock in for the ride and go the entire way. And we are on the topic of prayer, and I've entitled the entire series, The Divine Dialogue. The Divine Dialogue. It was interesting that in one of the uh, pieces that went out on the city, somehow somebody accidentally put the divine monologue. You know, and I said, see, now therein is the entire problem. Right there is the issue. And so it's very purposeful how we have monikered this particular series, but I could also as well call this a prayer primer, a prayer primer. There are so many great books, so many great teachers of the faith, both in our generation and previous generations, who have written tomes on prayer. I mean, if you're interested in some books, myself, any of the leaders, we could help you with that. But that's not what this is intended to be. First of all, I'm not a smart guy. I'm not a professional. I'm a practitioner, just like you. But the problem is that many times I think we can get so intimidated and so overwhelmed by a topic or something that God has asked of us that we just say, you know what, it's too big, it's too wonderful, I ain't doing it, and I'm done. And so we're finished before we ever get started. And if you've ever sat down and started reading a really good, meaty book on prayer, after about 10 pages, it's just like, well, I'm not saved, I'm finished. And that's what I want to do tonight is I want to, over tonight in the next few weeks, I don't want to be impressive. I want to be practical. I want to get this down to the very essence that you and I can walk out of here and say, I can do that. And not matter of what anybody else is doing or not doing, but that we have the tools and we have the confidence that we can engage in the divine dialogue. Let me just give you a preview of some of the topics that we're going to talk about, just so I can show you how practical we're going to get. One message, and these are not necessarily in order, I've entitled The Problem of Prayer. And we all have a problem with praying. And that's not me saying that. Paul said it in the book of Romans, chapter 8. He says, 
the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what to pray for. I don't know that it gets any cleaner than that in Scripture, that perhaps we need a little help. The second is the person of prayer. And I don't mean you. I mean that we have a model in God himself who is assisting this process. We read on in Romans 8, the same, the same verse. The Spirit, it says, helps us in our weakness. Further on in Romans 8, it says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And what's he doing? Making intercession for the saints. How many of you know that God probably knows how to pray for you? Hello? I mean, let me just tell you, when your human emotions, when your words, when your theology, when your faith, when it all runs out, somehow I think maybe Jesus knows how to pray for you. Somehow I think the Holy Spirit on the inside of you knows how to pray in accordance with the will of God. Why? Because the Spirit is God. There is never going to be any disagreement right there. The person of prayer. The posture of prayer. So many of us, we are already, we're already done before we ever get started because the enemy says, who are you? What are you doing here? Go away. God's not interested in anything you have to say. I know what you watched last night. I know what's on your internet cache. And so many times our hearts already condemn us before we ever step all the way in. There's a posture of righteousness that God's given us. The patterns of prayer. Aren't you glad that God gives us some existing patterns to step into? The disciples came to him and said, teach us how to pray. Well, the Lord's Prayer is a pretty good pattern, is it not? And there are other patterns out there that we can step into. The promises of prayer, fulfillment through agreement. This is what Dr. Mansfield was talking about, is the power that happens when men and women come together praying in one accord. But beyond just the agreement with other men and women is the agreement with God himself. Why? Because God is never going to disagree or deny himself. That's why it says in Ephesians, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Once we know what the Lord's will is, let me just tell you, that is a downhill slide into perfect intercession. And God's will is knowable by you and by me. Somebody say amen to that. But fulfillment is only going to come through agreement. The priority of prayer. John Calvin called prayer the soul of faith. The soul of faith. Calvin in his institutes, John Calvin, the great reformer, said the chief exercise of faith by which we daily receive God's benefits. You see, prayer releases faith, which releases the benefits of God to us. Conversely, a lack of prayer is going to yield a lack of faith in our life. The paradox of prayer, why pray? Why pray? I mean, if God's already decided in God's foreordination, God's foreknowledge, God's will is set, then what are we doing here? Why should we even pray? What is, what is the purpose of this exercise if his design and determination is already set? How do, we, how do we balance that with what influence that we have in heaven? So these are some of the topics 
that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. And again, as you can tell, besides a bunch of peas, we're trying to get extraordinarily practical to help and equip you. I got to tell you, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. But tonight, the practice of prayer. The practice of prayer. By definition, the word practice, it says the actual application or use of an idea, belief, or method as opposed to theories about such. You know, for all of the talk about prayer, there's amazingly little prayer. There's a lot written about it. We talk a lot about it. We all know we should do it. We all, we all somewhere inside, we know we should do it more. But the word practice means that we move it from the theoretical and we move it to the place of reality in our life. That's what the practice of something implies. And then the second definition is repeated exercise in or performance of an activity or skill so as to acquire or maintain proficiency in it. The word practice. My wife and I are both musicians. Doesn't imply that we're good ones, but we're both musicians. We met in music school together. And you use the word practice with a musician, and it's not a casual word. Let me just tell you, practice fires off all kinds of things for a player, does it not, Pastor Robert? I mean, it means hours locked away in a very tiny room, away from humanity. In many cases, apart from even sanity with fluorescent lights that are humming at a pitch that's not anywhere close to what you're playing. Practice means work. Practice separates, if you wish, the men from the boys. Practice separates those who actually might have a shot at making a living with their instrument or their voice and those who will merely say, would you like fries with that? And practice becomes the great, the great divide, quite frankly, between those that will and those that want. Practice for the musician, it means repetition that will eventually result in increasing fluency and competence. And it reinforces, listen to me, and refines what being a musician really means, which is making music. If you're an athlete, that word practice, certain other things go off in you. Mostly just, you're just tired. Because if you've gotten to the top of your game, you've gotten there through a lot of practice. When the coach calls for two-a-days, I mean, whatever that means in your athletic jargon, that word practice is not a casual word. Moms, it means that you're getting ready to put a few extra thousand miles on the minivan this season. Practice. And yet, it's that practice that defines and refines what an athlete is, what a musician is. But could it be it should both refine and define 
what being a believer is as well, is the practice of prayer. But we've got to get over some things. Because I don't know about you, but I hear, I hear the word prayer and certain things begin to fire off. I don't know where they came from, but they're there. And so we've got to get over some preconceptions and some misconceptions about what prayer is and what it's not. And we'll unpack that in the weeks to come. The second is condemnation about prayer. I don't know about you, but there's, there, there are two things that can always call, always cause rather, a disciple, a believer, to get a little bit squishy and insecure. The first is making other disciples, called evangelism. And the second is prayer. There are two things that we all agree with that we should do. And go ahead and put reading your Bible in there as well. All right? Go, we, just, we, just, we just work the whole list that most of us are pretty plowed under before we ever get there. All right? I mean, we listen to Pastor Brett. Read your Bible. There we go. And yet, many of us, it's just like we walk by it and we just, you know, we don't even want to look Pastor Brett in the face on Sunday morning. You know what I'm talking about. Those folk that come on Friday night and they do whatever they do down there in the 180 building. Whoo, we'll talk about those people in a minute. And then we see people with this amazing evangelistic anointing on their life like a, like a Jared Green or Stephen Law or someone like that. And we begin to set ourselves up in contrast and comparison and we're plowed under before it ever gets started. We have to deal with the issue of condemnation. Our insecurities, am I doing it right? Am, 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 am I doing it right? Boys and girls, let me help you just for a moment. You're never going to do anything just right. Perfection is something that's reserved for the eternal. It's reserved for heaven. Now, you might get to some 98%, congratulations, but let me just tell you, somewhere we've got to stop aiming all the time at the ideal, the perfection, and get it down to where we live. Hmm. Our insecure, am I doing it right, Pastor? Am I, am I praying right? Well, somehow if you weren't, God has a way of, he'd take you out if he needs to. I mean, if it gets that, if it gets that messed up and jacked up, he'll, he'll take care of it. The comparison about what someone else is doing. We're always convinced that everybody is up at 3.30 in the morning, prostrate before God, with me, just worshiping God, reading their Bible, and they only get up to eat cold gruel, and then they go back to it. And we think... As we're finishing up our second stack of pancakes and, 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 and waffles and bacon and we're convinced this is what everybody else is doing but us, the slobs. We're convinced about what everybody else is doing. I had a teacher in college trying to motivate me to practice. And this was, his, this was his 
way of helping me. He said, well, let me just tell you, for every minute you're not practicing, somebody else is. Oh, I'm, I'm edified. I mean, basically it means get in the practice room and start competing because somebody else is going to get your job. I mean, forget about the artistry, forget about the music, forget about anything else. You better get in there and clock your hours because everybody else is going to lap you, son. Let me just tell you, that's not a great motivation for great art making. How much do you? How much do you pray? I love people. How much do you pray, Pastor Jim? How how much do you read your Bible? How long do you talk in tongues every day? And it's just like, if I told you, what difference would it make? Because you'd either feel superior to me because you're doing more, or you'd feel condemned that you're doing less, or you would somehow try to adapt and adopt what I'm doing and make it yours. This is not the proverbial snuggie, which is one size fit all. What is that thing called? A snuggie? They've been banned in 17 states, and they should have been. But let me just tell you, it gets any colder, I'm buying one. Let me just tell you. I'm wearing that sucker out of the house, I'm telling you. Don't care what it looks like or Mr. Fashion, what you have to say about it, I'm wearing it, I'm telling you. But, you know, Nike got it right a long time ago. Just do it. It's not about getting it just right. It's just do it. Just do it. Divine dialogue is developing conversational skills as opposed to just language skills. Do you realize there's a big difference in learning the language and learning conversation? You know, you can sit down and learn all the grammar of a foreign language. Now, most of us have a problem with foreign language because we still don't know what an adjective is in English. And so we're pretty... We're pretty handicapped when the teacher begins to use those whole parts of speech kind of thing. You know what I'm saying. But you can learn, and you can learn all the construct, noun, verb, and, you know, if it's in Spanish, just put an O on the end of everything, and, 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 you're, and you're pretty much good to go on that, okay? Leave everything in plural, by the way. That way you don't have to get all this gender thing right either. John Holmes is over there laughing, ah, ha, 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 ha. Married a beautiful Colombian woman, and I know more Spanish than you do. It's pathetic. <laughs> I've traveled with John, so I happen to know that for. <laughs> but you can learn all the mechanics of language and never learn to communicate. Never learn to communicate at all because communication skills requires both that, skills and the will to actually learn it. Men, talking to women. Now, man, just be quiet because nothing but trouble in this for you. You can read all the books. You can listen to your dad. Come on. And you think you figured out the mechanics of how to talk to that woman. How many of you know it just doesn't work? Husbands talking to your wives. And you, you've got this moment when it works, but then you realize there are all these variables. Like when they're hungry. Or when they're cold. 
or a day that ends in Y. Or, or when they're nine months pregnant and what worked a year ago and now she's, I mean, you can't say anything really well. You know, at somewhere around 36 weeks of gestation, just stop talking because it's going to be wrong. Are you with me? And it's just, you can learn all the mechanics and have the nouns and the verbs in the right place and say honey and please and, and all of this still ain't going to be right. Parents, you thought you knew how to talk to your children. And then this thing called hormones happened. And all of a sudden now, the language is missing. You're using the same words and this, this is the same little person that lives in your house and shares your genetic material. But all of a sudden... You're not communicating anymore. It's just words and language. You see, communication is not just words or the repetition of words. Jesus was trying to help in Matthew when you pray. First of all, there's not if, when. Don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues, repeating, I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. You see, Jesus didn't want us just to be, just say these words over and over again. But what he wanted was a divine dialogue. He wanted to, he wanted to talk with us through the mechanism of prayer. And prayer, listen to me, as a language, it can be learned. It really can. It can be learned. But we've got to deconstruct some ideas first. One, up, one is that it's too hard. It's only for the professionals. And you know what we call the professional prayer people in the church? Intercessors. Now, I'm going to get very unguarded. And I'm, getting, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble because that's what I do when Pastor Brett's not here. But could I say that intercessors to me has become a very unfortunate office in the church because it's been relegated to those people who are the professional prayer people. They've got the right prayers. They've got faith. They're the ones up at 3.30 a.m. not eating pancakes but cold gruel. They're the ones with God. Leave the prayer to the professionals. Please don't try this at home. I am a professional. <laughs> but you know, tragically, in the church today, and I listen, do I believe God calls men and women uniquely to pray like that? Yes, I, I appreciate these folk. But many times I believe we think we look at them once again in contrast and comparison and say, well, I'm not an intercessor, therefore, or I'll leave the praying to them. Let Pastor Donnell and her crew keep this storm from rolling in this weekend. She's obviously got some juice, on, juice, juice that I don't know about. Hmm. The professionals. It's only for the holy and the righteous. Well, I, I, I got to be right. Well, keep, keep, keep on trying to get right and see if you ever get right enough to approach a holy, perfect God. And if you ever think you've gotten right enough to approach him on your own, 
let me tell you, you're already so far away, you can't see him anymore. John 10, you are already clean. Why? Because of the word I have spoken to you. You're already there. Well, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just not spiritual. I'm just not a spiritual man or woman by whose measure. Once again, compared to what? When Paul used the word spiritual in the New Testament, the word pneumaticos, it was never, he never used it in a qualitative way of, or quantitative way of, you've got more than this person over here. What Paul, what, what Paul intended was simply, if the Holy Spirit's dwelling in you, you're spiritual. You know, I don't know that many of us in this room tonight would use that terminology about ourselves. I am a spiritual man. I am a spiritual woman. Let me just tell you, what makes you spiritual is not what you do, it's who lives on the inside of you. That's what ultimately determines you being a spiritual man or woman. And lastly, it's this mystical thing. Is it supernatural? You bet. Is it mystical? No. No. It's not reserved, again, just for those who have cracked the code that they can get into the throne room and sit in daddy's lap. Not at all. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. So, how do you pray, Pastor Jim? Where do I start? Well, maybe we're asking the wrong question. Because so many times when we ask a question like, how do I pray? What we're looking for, invariably, we're looking for the list, the checklist. Number one, number two, number three. Check, 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 check. Maybe, maybe a better way to ask the same question, how do you become a conversationalist with God? And it's not just learning to speak. It's learning to listen. Have you ever tried to have a relationship with someone who did not understand how that concept worked? I mean, their understanding of a conversation is for you to sit there. I had a 90-some-odd-year-old grandmother. There was no hope of a conversation. Her understanding was that you would sit there and you would listen to her talk. Sit down here. Let's talk. No, you don't want to talk. Yeah, you want to talk, but the let us? No, 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 no. It was more like, you sit there, let me talk. Now, we got some honesty. And you and I both know that if you have someone like that, you're never going to plumb the depths of relationship with that individual. It's hearing, listening. And you see, if our prayer gets reduced to just technique, we've already missed the essence of what it is. You see, I'm not saying there are not things we can learn. But if prayer is conversational, then by its very nature, it has to be relational. And I think this is where so many times, this is where prayer gets so bone dry for the believer. Is that we feel like it is a monologue. 
we're talking to, we're talking into space. We're throwing as many words up to heaven as we can, hoping a few of them might stick, rather than understanding what this is intended to be. You see, prayer minus relationship is just duty, liturgy, and religion. That's all it is. It just, it just becomes duty at that point. It's something I'm supposed to do and check off my list so somehow I'll feel better about me. But prayer plus relationship, you know what, it, really, it, 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 it's, it yields realized sonship and faith released and expressed. Isaiah chapter 29 verse 13, God says, These people come near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. But you know, you could substitute the word prayer there for worship very easily. Their prayers to me are only made up of rules taught by men. It's tragic. And that divine relationship, that dialogue, it's a pouring out of ourselves to God and in turn God pouring himself out to us. That's the reciprocity that happens in this relationship. God reveals God to us, and concurrently, He reveals ourselves to us at the same time. A reflection of God and a mirror of self. That's not always a pretty thing. But prayer is is the catalyst of change for you and I. And let me say this. If we would learn how to pour out to God, our need to dump on one another would be greatly diminished. Now, hear me. There is a place for human relationship and companionship where we can weep with one another and we can just, if you wish, just... And you should have a few people in your life that you can do that with. I hope your spouse is one of those people. That there's enough relational equity and intimacy in that relationship that you can have a truly bad moment with your spouse. And that's exactly what it is. It's a moment. It doesn't leave a dent. You need some covenant friends in your life that you can do that with. But let me tell you, somewhere that will never be enough until, like the psalmist, you've learned how to pour yourself out before God. Say, oh, I can't be that raw with God. What would he think? Really? Really? And if you've never had a raw moment with God where you told him exactly what you thought of his treatment of you was in the moment, then you need to go back and read through some of the Psalms. Oh, my goodness. God, I really don't like this much, and, 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 and I don't like you either. Sounds a lot like a three-year-old because they didn't get the 14th cookie. And then they drag you into their displeasure and they begin to accuse you because you haven't been performing according to their expectations. But you know, if mom and dad, you can figure that out, don't you think God can probably figure that out as well? Hmm. And in that relationship, we, of course, we seek him for who he is, not what he can do. 
You know, most of the and the, most of the declaring and decreeing I hear has to do with ordering God to do something. I'm very careful how I use that language, quite frankly. You know, I'm I'm, I'm much as a son. I'm I'm I, I I can't say I've ever gone to my dad. I decree that you would. And I don't know about you, how you were raised. But somehow I'm not sure that posture would probably have gotten me an increase in my allowance. As a matter of fact, beyond deaf ears, I think there may have been something pushing back at that point. And we seek his, yes, we do seek his hand. Give us this day our daily bread. There's nothing wrong with asking. God already knows before you ask, but it's okay to ask. He told us to. But it's that first part. And we'll talk about this when we get to the pattern of prayer. It's the hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. That's where it begins to happen. And it's in this Moses face-to-face intimacy. This is where our real transformation begins to occur. It's right here. The practice of prayer. Is it work? Up to you how you define it. I could say that my relationship with my wife is work. I'm not sure she would receive that well. Honey, it's real, it's real work for me for us to spend time together. It's real work for me to have to be circumspect in my language and be nice. I love you, but it's real work. I don't know about you, but I just don't think you're going to get any cookies this weekend. I don't think she's going to, it's not going to be a Betty Crocker moment in your house. She doesn't want to hear that, 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 that relationship and that time spent and that communication is work. But you see, when it's relational, the practice of prayer, it's not work anymore. We're not trying to get somewhere. We're not trying to get something. All we're trying to do is to get to know daddy just a little bit better. That's what the divine dialogue is all about. That's what the practice of prayer produces. We know ourselves a little better. We know him a lot better. This is what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks.